Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today, Rochelle's going to convince me that client avatars are a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) I am, I am. (laughs) I'm looking forward to this because I've had uh, sort of bad experience in the corporate world of people kind of just making stuff up about, you know, uh, our our ideal customer is a 30-something soccer mom who drives a Outback and you know, and they just, I'm like, well, what's that based, you know, and they're just, they're just making stuff up and saying, well, if we were going to advertise to this soccer mom or to this, uh, you know, startup founder or this entrepreneur, like they just, it's like they met somebody once or they have this kind of stereotypical idea of what this kind of person is like. And then they just run with it and develop like an entire advertising campaign based on it. (laughs) And, and maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they're, Maybe that works, but it always seemed like a lot of hand waving to me. Uh, but you know, that's like corporate, that's corporate world. And I've been out of the corporate world for at least 15 years, maybe more. So, uh, it's, it's an old experience, but it has kind of stuck with me. And in previous episodes, I'm pretty sure it was the, uh, should you write a book episode? We talked in depth about knowing who your product is for and, and you mm-hmm. brought up the subject of client of customer avatars. So we thought we were like, geez, we should probably do an actual episode on this. Yes. <laughs> so what's the, what's the, uh, I, I feel like customer avatars kind of, that sounds like a, a Rochelle term. Is there like a, a general, what do people refer to this as? Is that a normal industry well, term? <laughs> a normal term. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, it's not a Rochelle term. Um, but it isn't a, a universal term. Probably the way most people would describe it is a client profile. Okay. That's really, and, and maybe that's an easier way to think of it. I think of it in terms of an avatar because I like for people to have a picture in their mind. Like when we were talking about about the book, uh, one of the things we talked about was having somebody in mind. And I think it, you had said with one of your books, you literally had a person in mind that you would visualize. Mm-hmm. So with, with the avatar or the profile, I like to get so specific that you literally can picture a particular client in your mind. And that helps. So when you use the term uh, customer avatar, is is that what you, like when you're working with your client, you say... Okay, picture literally an actual person that you know, and that is going to be your customer avatar. Or are you saying they kind of make an amalgamation of the types of people who they've worked with in the past and they create this sort of Franken avatar? No, definitely not a Franken avatar. Okay. I don't, I personally, I don't like that at all. It's, it feels like too much of a compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what I do with people who have existing businesses, so you've served clients in the past, mm-hmm. right? So part of this is, you know, who do you want to work with? Who do you like? Who do you transform in ways that are is good for the client and good for you? So, you know, one of the ways that that you can start is by saying, um, what experiences would I like to repeat over and over and over again if I could? Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you tend to think of a particular client, a particular project, or both. And as you start to do that, you start to say, oh, yeah, gee, I'd like I'd love to have 10 Joes for my client. Mm -hmm. Right. And then what you do is you answer a series of questions about that particular person. Nobody else, just Joe. So that you get inside Joe's head 
and understand who he is, what he cares about, um, and then later where he goes to get information and sort of the tactical things Mm -hmm. about that. But you start with really getting inside their head so that you understand how they think and how they behave. Yes. Okay. So this, you've already convinced me because the, because (laughs) it wasn't clear to me. I mean, from the name avatar, it's, it sounds like I just related to video games. It's made up, you know, so Ah. it's so Sean D'Souza who wrote the brain on it has a, has a word for this too, which I'll, I can't remember, but I'll put it in the show notes. But he, he says the same sort of thing. Like when you're coming up with a new product or service, make it for a specific actual person mm-hmm. that you, that in best case scenario, and tell me if you disagree, best case scenario, you know them really well. Like you worked with them for a long time so that you can, yes. you can, you basically, you can easily, oh, well, what would Jeff say in this situation? I know what he's going to say. He's going to, he's going to reject this notion because he's going to want to research it more because that's the way Jeff is. And, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And, and again, we can put this in the show notes, a link to an exercise that you can do for yourself Mm. with client avatars. But, you know, I like there's, I, I use a short form and a long form and the short form is really all you need. The advantage of the long form is if you're having trouble putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, it gives you more questions Mm -hmm. to think about. But it's when you start, uh, asking, again, from the viewpoint of your client, what's their biggest source of pain? Like what, what are the problems that they're experiencing? Because when you start to think about it that way, then you start to look at your bag of tricks and say, how do I match this up with their pain points? Mm -hmm. And how do I communicate with them on those pain points? And, you know, and that's always the easiest way to start, you know, because, you know, we consultants love to solve problems. So if there's a problem, there must be pain. (laughs) But there's the flip side of that, too, which is what are their fondest hopes and dreams? What are their biggest opportunities? So, you, you know, you look at both sides and you start to understand them in a way I don't want to say in a way that you didn't before, because you may really know all this intuitively already, but there's something about the act of writing it down, revisiting it and, you know, and coming back to it. And, you know, for myself, I have three avatars that I use in my business and they're three different kinds of, of consultants and they've got different agendas, different hopes and fears. And it's like, I recognize them now. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a Sally. Yeah, I won't <laughs> use real names. <laughs> right. I help and you're trying to write something or create a video or this podcast. You start to think about, well, what would Joe and Sally, what would they be interested in? What do they want to hear about? What problems do they have that we should try to help solve for them? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, I'm completely on board with this. In fact, this is this is something I teach already. I just don't call it this. <laughs> New world record, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm polluted by the corporate America version of this. I think the mass market, the mass sort of like average things for average people stuff. Seth Godin talks about where, you know, it's just, you know, sort of like a wonder bread version of this, but in, in a scenario where, you know, this is what I see to people all the time, because when you, you know, exactly what you said, focus on the problems first. You know, it's like what, uh, as, as the, as the, as the us, as the listener, you know, when we're trying to create a product that's going to help somebody, 
it, you know, a million things and you could help them in a million ways and you could probably help, you know, dozens of different kinds of people. But if you pick one specific one that you feel like you could help the most or someone, you, you know, for whatever reason, your favorite, and then you focus on the problems, it, it, it allows you to kind of rearrange your message. So you've got all this information, you've got all this knowledge mm. and it's just, you just can't just dump it on them all at once. It just washes away. So if you, if you kind of arrange it and just give them the piece that it's going to be the most, that's going to create the biggest question mark in their mind or the biggest opening in their mind, mm-hmm. you know, the biggest question, like how, how could you solve, you know, Hey, do you have this kind of problem? Yes. Yes, I do. Wouldn't it be great if, <laughs> if instead of that problem, your life was like this and like, Oh yes, I dream about that. I literally stay up nights <laughs> thinking about that. And then you're like, well, I do this thing that, that, you know, now they're listening and they're like, yeah, how, how could you, yes, that would be great, of course, but it's impossible. How could you possibly do that? And now they have, now they're asking you and this, and when I say asking, this could be them reading a, a static web page, but it's, it's this exercise that you go through where you need to, they need to first understand, you know, why they would bother reading this web page or engaging in conversation with this person at a cocktail party, or there needs to be some interest, you know, there needs to be some kind of interest. And if you're talking about the thing that you're kind of like uh, tapping into this question that's in their mind all the time, or this, this pain that's in their mind all the time, they're having this internal conversation with themselves about, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, how, whatever it is. I mean, you can think of all the human pains. And if you, if you create that opening, then all of a sudden they're going to be receptive to your message or they don't have that pain and they're not a good fit for you anyway. And they won't right. be interested. They go away. Right. What you want that will save you time. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other piece about this is that, and we've talked about this on some other episodes is how does that client in your client profile or avatar, how do they transform after they work with you? Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, when you're, when you're answering these questions, you're putting yourself in the role of the client saying, okay, this was me before I met Jonathan. And this is me after I met Jonathan, right? I, or worked with Jonathan. How am I different? And that's what, as the, as the, the business owner, the consultant, the service provider, that's what you want to understand because the more you can show that transformation in places like your website, sales pages, social media, the more you're going to pull in that ideal client. Yeah, totally agree. Cause they'll recognize those are results that they are dying for. Yeah. And, and with, with the avatars, um, sometimes people will go, well, how many do I need? Should I have 10? <laughs> and the answer is no. no. Um, and you want one core avatar that you're writing for. And you might have a second if you find a, a difference in, say, demographics. So mm-hmm. for example, if most things are the same, but you have one group that are uh, let's say men over 50, most of them are married, let's say married men over 50. And another group is single women between 35 and 45. You, you would probably communicate differently to those two audiences, but the core would be the same. Mm-hmm. So, but you don't want to, you don't want to get too fancy. I, I like to have multiple ones when I feel like their motivations are different that why they're coming to find someone to work with is different. So that's why I have three. Mm-hmm. But I don't speak to all three. I just, I, there's a core that that 
transcend or not transcends it crosses over all three this common core and then what's different are the motivations so it just as an example there's one that is really interested in legacy and they don't use that word Mm -hmm. but it's something that's very important in how they look at themselves and their businesses and where they're going next right it's it's kind of the how do i tell the story in such a way that i feel good about everything that i've done and then i'm paying it forward and there's that that essence, but that doesn't exist in the other two. Yep. So those are the things you want to get at when you when you ask these questions of yourself and your client base. That's great. Yeah, I see. I see in my coaching business that I have two two, and I, I when I'm, when people are the, th- the thing I want to point out is that maybe you disagree. Let me know. But when somebody is first getting started with the idea of marketing at all. And mm. thinking about things in this way, I urge them to just pick one to start. Yes. Because the temptation is, well, I'll start with six and then I'll pare <laughs> it down, you know, almost like, cause they don't want to, they're in this massive, having this massive, you know, reflexive fear reaction to the idea of, of changing their marketing from, you know, I'm a Rails developer for anybody down to I'm a Rails developer for these very specific types of clients or this very specific type of client. You know, whatever female thought leaders, I build custom web applications for female thought leaders. It's like, whoa, okay, that's pretty specific. Mm -hmm. So, but I I found, I initially with my coaching business was focusing on uh, software, people who consider themselves to be software consultants. And usually they actually weren't software consultants. They're actually software developers. They don't, they typically didn't actually do that much consultative work, or if they did, they gave it away for free at the beginning of projects. Ah. Really, they were just going in, doing an initial, initial, you know, informal strategic engagement before doing an implementation to make sure that they kind of were on the right path with the implementation, and then they'd bill by the hour to do the project until, uh, you know, the client either was happy with the outcome or or cried uncle. So uh, it, and then after a while... I found that that and that's still my core. That's still my core. Sometimes there's a couple of employees, but usually it's like the founder or a single person. Um, it's I don't really attract that that a bad fit for me is somebody who has like 20 employees or 50 employees. That's not a great fit for me. If if mm-hmm. you have a few employees or contractors, that's fine. But the bigger agency type businesses, that's not me. That's not for me. It's so, a different model. Yeah, it's just totally different. Yeah. And. Uh, and then over time, I found that there were two divisions inside of inside of the people who I had attracted. And I like them both. Uh, and they're really the same person, just at different stages of maturity, business maturity. So mm. one is the original one is someone who's, who's basically successful, makes six figures. They're doing pretty well, um, but they notice that, but they hate doing marketing. They hate doing sales. I mean, like, like allergic to it. And... <laughs> Uh, but it's been like three years since they've increased their revenue. They're working harder than ever. They're, they feel like they can't get ahead. They, they're like, I'm doing fine, but how how am I ever going to retire? That's a common question. How am I ever going to retire? Hamster wheel. Right. Yeah. They're treading water because they don't know how to grow the business. They don't really want to hire anybody, but they've maxed out their hourly Mm-hmm. They've reached, they hit the hourly ceiling, I call it. So they're stuck there around $140,000, $150,000 a year, and they see no way out other than hiring people. 
So that's the core. But then I found a bunch of people who weren't even to that level of success yet. That were really, and these people usually call themselves freelancers and they don't call themselves consultants. They call themselves freelancers usually. And, or maybe they're about to go solo. They're at, you know, a a full-time job and they can't stand it anymore and they want to go out uh, and, and hang out their own shingle. But those people really don't have a lot of money. So I was like, you know, they, the risk is, their risk profile is very different. Um, they're, mm-hmm. they aren't always younger, but they usually are. And, you know, they're usually more in their twenties or so versus forties. And, uh, there's just not as much disposable, disposable income there. So I was like, well, okay. So I, I more or less talk to the audience. I talk to them very similar. There's tons of crossover between the two, but I decided to make products that would address both ends of the market. Mm-hmm. So at the the lower end for somebody who has a lot of time on their hands and uh, doesn't have a lot of money, you know, you can buy these sort of, you can be on my mailing list. You can, uh, you can buy a book, you can join a real, I would say very inexpensive group coaching, uh, things like that. You can go go view my webinars, There's tons of free stuff, some low end paid stuff that's under a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And then there's this more high end stuff where these people have no time. They have a decent amount of money. Some of them could be making, you know, you could be making as a, as a, you know, a person who manages a couple of contractors could be making half a million, 750,000. And they've got money to spend, uh, but they don't have a lot of time and they want it to be effective very quickly. Um, they, they, a little bit, they want some magic, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little bit unrealistic expectations. But, but as I'm telling you all of these things, uh, and this is for the benefit of the dear listener, as I'm saying all of these things, I'm thinking of specific people. I know actual right. individuals I know it, that I've been working with for years, oh, you know, at least, at least 12 months, over, certainly in some cases, year, multiple years, three years, five years. And I know when I say something to them, what they're going to say back. It's, yep. it's very predictable and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. They'll say to me, like, it gets to the point where they're like, I already know what you're going to say. You're like, they ask a question, <laughs> like, I already know what you're going to say, you know, and they type it up and like, yes, that's what I'm going to say, you know? Yeah. Because you're in each other's heads. Yes. And now all of a sudden, if you believe that, you know, there's, uh, I don't want to say Jeff because I actually have a student named Jeff. I'm trying to think of a name (laughs) of a student I don't have. I guess there probably isn't. Randy. Okay. So Randy, you know, if Randy is a particular way and you know Randy really well, it's safe to assume that there's other Randys out there, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you really like working with Randy and that, you know, that sort of, you got great results. And like you said before, then then awesome. Then orient your marketing around that, orient your onboarding, your sales calls, your materials, and all that kind of, it helps you organize this, what is probably a massive amount of information into something digestible for a particular person if you know who you're trying to talk to. Well, and you can do it when you're in the early end of your career, because you've had experiences, even if you weren't independent at that point, you've had experiences as an employee. And I like to look at those as projects. I think that helps somebody kind of make the leap from being an employee to being a freelancer, mm-hmm. you know, in the early end of, of, of what you were talking about. So you start to look at what are the projects as an employee that I really loved? And what were those clients? What did those clients have in common? Who did I like? You know, and, and you know, Ralph, 
Uh, what did I like about the project with Ralph? And and really look at everything, not just uh, you know to build the avatar, but before you decide who to build the avatar on, mm-hmm. right? You want to choose the kinds of of projects and work that really appeal to you. So, um, you know, you can make a list, which I mean, it sounds so simple, but that it it really works. Is you make a list of all the projects you worked on, mm-hmm. and you can even rank them. You know, you could say one is, you know, send me a hundred of these and five is, oh my God, no, I'd rather put needles in my eyes than do this one again. (laughs) So you start to look at that and then you, you have a list. And even if you're 28, okay, you've probably been working for six years. I guarantee you've had at least 10 projects in six years, right? Mm. So you look at that list and you start to say, well, what, what do these ones that I like have in common? And of course, you know, we look at the work, you know, what was interesting about the work, but, but you also want to look at the personality of the client and was it a a real team project or an individual project did, was the team leader, the team leader from hell and you can kind of identify what characteristics made you crazy or the other way around. Was this a person who was so good at what they did that you would love to work with them again? And they're, they're almost your model for who you want to work with. Mm -hmm. So it's, you really can do this at any stage in your career. It's just the longer you've been doing something, you know, the more things you have on your list. Yeah, it gets a lot easier. I've worked with a number of people who, in answer to the question, well, you know, make a list of your projects, which one's your favorite ones? And they say, I hated all of them. And then it's (sighs) like, then you're like, okay, you know, and then it's like back up. Okay. What are you trying to do with your life? You know, like, are you in the right line of business? That's a bigger question. Right. So yeah, uh, there's that, but, but yeah, it, it definitely gets easier the more you interact with people. That's another, that's another, another problem that I see in my space because software developers are famously antisocial. And of of course that's a massive generalization, but it's, there's some truth to the rumor. So I, you know, it's, I have a, have to have a come to Jesus moment with people that are like that, where I'm like, look, you know, if you, you maybe should just get a, get a, just get a regular job. Like there's get no shame in that. Um, right. But if this is a relationship business, it's a service business, you need communication skills are more important than your developer skills. You know, it, it's, it's a must. You, you can't get around mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. assuming that you aren't just super antisocial, you know, you know, a lot of people, right? Like everybody knows a lot of people in this sort of social media age. It's apparent how many people we're all connected to. Mm-hmm. And just, so I'm, I'm actually just sort of like trying to help people who like, Oh, but I don't like anyone. I don't like any project. I don't like anyone. <laughs> Assuming you're not antisocial, <laughs> then think about, think about people who, you know, who you'd like to help or people or even not even that yes. people, you know, who you'd like to be around more. Because you're going to be around your clients quite a bit. And this is, this is, this is hard. I cannot say that I've had a lot of success with this approach, but I don't know what other, I don't know what better way to do it. But when people are in that place where they're like, you know, they sort of, they either, they got fired from a job and they started freelancing, went out on their own or, or whatever the reason was, uh, or, you know, they went out with blinders on and didn't do it well and they've mm-hmm. been struggling the whole time and they've been taking bad clients and getting uh, sort of, you know, a lot of price sensitivity and they're just not making that much money. They're really struggling and, right. and they, they have nowhere to go. I'm like, 
you know, I hate bringing the word passion up because it's so cheesy, but it's like, what are you passionate about? Wouldn't it be great if you could do that all day long? Who else is passionate about it? And what can you, what pains do they have and how can you help them? So, you know, and you get the, you get the craziest, you get the craziest answers to that question. You know, just like these are software developers who are like, oh, I, you know, I want to work with uh, Silicon Valley startups. And they're like, well, what are you passionate about? And they're like baking artisanal bread. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) well, is there nothing you could apply your skills to for people who bake artisanal bread? Am I even saying that right? I never know. Artisanal. I I think you can say it either way. (laughs) And, you know, like, like you're making up your own career. So you might as well make it something that you're going to dig, you know, but a lot of them, when when I I got on this path, it's almost always a dead end for them because they just can't believe that there would be any future in that or any money in that or, uh, or maybe they don't want to pollute their hobby with sort of commercial aspirations, which I can understand kind of. Well, it's, it's hard when you're at the bottom or feeling like you're at the bottom trying to come up. So, you know, you got fired from your job, you hate your clients, you hate the work. <laughs> you know, it's like hard. If you're yeah. in that place, that yeah. deep hole, it, it's hard to see anything else. So so sometimes the word I use around that is resonance. It's like you just there's some people that you're around or things that you're around that sort of make you vibrate at a higher level, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like there's some people that you just feel good around. And so you start to look at that, like, like, when does my life not suck? (laughs) Now, oh, gee, it's when I go to the karate class, or it's when I'm at church. Uh, It's when I'm dancing, you know, it's whatever those things are. And then, you know, that can help. But, you know, it's really hard when you're at the bottom of the hole. It's much easier if you've got some things that are going well and you've got some other things that are causing you trouble. And then you can kind of feel enough energy to fix the things that aren't working. Yes, I totally agree. Well, cool. You have totally convinced me once again. (laughs) Within five minutes. That's a new record. Yeah. Well, so but this is this is good. Like you redefine the term for me. I was misinterpreting the term and it's, I, that's critical. I mean, like, you know, what's the, what's the quote, the limits of one's language or the limits of their world. You know, it's like language is super important and like getting the definitions right and getting everybody on the same page is super helpful. Well, what's funny is I'm now thinking I need to call it something other than an avatar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, when you say avatar, I just think video game. And to me, that just immediately means fake. In our last episode, um, remember that we talked about building a language, mm-hmm. and that's what you're doing with avatar profile, whatever we're calling this. But you're you're figuring out how to start to build that language because you know who you're writing to, you know what your skill sets are, you know how you transform them, and you know it's not like you come out of the shoot having it all right the first time, but you start those conversations and you start to tweak how you how you talk to them, how you teach them, how you reach them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Another person to mention here is uh, Michael Port. He was the first person I ever heard talking about the concept of the ideal client. And uh, Mm -hmm. we don't need to go down the rabbit hole on that. But um, uh, I think the book I read that uh, book yourself solid was was the book. And it's right near the beginning. It's one of the very first chapters that that's a good book for uh, sort of softened up my mindset around consulting. My my consulting brain was forged in the uh, Mm -hmm. The Alan Weiss world, which is a much more aggressive style. And mm-hmm. Michael Port was kind of like the warm and fuzzy version. So um, 
both both super great books, you know, Value Based Fees from Alan Weiss and and Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port. Both good books, but Michael Port's the one that talks about this notion of ideal clients and and actually pitching them, you know, like when you when you meet one, you know, like you said you can see them now, you just immediately right. recognize them. Right. The the sort of the air quotes sales pitch for people who can't stand salesiness is to be like, you know, you're talking with someone and, and he's like, look, I, I just got to tell you, you are like the ideal kind of client for me. You're like, you would be a great fit for me. I don't know if you're looking for what I do, but you know, maybe we should talk about it. If you're looking for X, Y, and Z, maybe we should talk. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing a horrible job paraphrasing it, but uh, he was the first one that really, when I read it, it really clicked with me that, um, that consulting is a service business. It's not this prima donna thing where you sort of walk in all smart and like tell everybody what to do and leave. You know, it's, it's <laughs> right. It's like a service. That's, it, well, that's McKinsey. But other than that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, but it's a service business and you are in service yep. to your clients. And it makes it so much, I, for me, it makes it a lot more fun. It, it is. And it's, I, you know, I'm always shocked when somebody thinks it isn't. It's, it, and especially depending on the kind of work that you do, your, your expertise, it's, it's very personal. You know, you're not just changing somebody, how somebody works or fixing a problem at work. You can change how they live. You can change their life. They can go home and be happy at the end of the day because you created some fabulous piece of software or you solved a problem that was vexing them. I mean, it's it's very personal and people remember that. That's why a lot of us have clients that, you know, maybe we haven't worked with in 10 years, but we could still pick up the phone or they still send us an email now and then with, you know, some triumph that they got. Mm -hmm. It's that's it's that connection that you get. I, I that's one of the things I love about this work. Agreed. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm sure I come across like a jerk half the time, but I really do like that. I guess it's probably I connect with jerk clients. We're all, we could be jerks together. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. I'm not going there. <laughs> uh, oh, it's a tough love in me. All right, cool. Is there anything? Should we leave it there? Is there anything else we should say about this? I think we leave it there and I'll put up the uh, the client avatar exercise of the short one if somebody wants to um, take a run through it. Very cool. And I'll link to the books I mentioned as well. Awesome. All right. Great. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next week for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>